which would require a sound system, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> in fairness, yeah, we didn't have a system. Yeah. <laughs> this is our PA right here. Um, so yeah, you go to the pastor's house, and I mean, just imagine. Like I'm trying to imagine my wife. Okay, when we have guests over, I don't like having company. Not because I'm not social. I just don't like what has to happen to the house. I mean, it's like we're all like, I mean, grab a broom. A, I mean, it's like, you know, things being shoved into the couch because we want to clean house. And so every other day, Rodrigue and his wife open their house with these little, like, board tables. And I use the word table very loosely. It's like a, a thin sheet of board with, like, a sawhorse under it and then little benches that are uh, rudimentary, like I built them. And they cram 75 kids in this little room. And every one of these little kids come in, they don't say a word, they don't eat, okay, till everybody is seated. And keeping in mind, like we were talking earlier, Robin's hungry. Like, when I got home from church on Sunday, okay, I'm hungry and we don't have food till one. D-boy is in the, I'm munching, okay, I got the chips and the dip and you know, I'm munching. I had like half a meal before the guests arrived. These little kids, okay, and, and keeping in mind, I ate at 8 that morning, okay, so these little kids maybe haven't eaten since the day before yesterday, or maybe yesterday for sure, and they sit there and they wait until everybody has food, until the pastor prays, and then they eat, and they eat, I mean, everything on their plate. There was no leftovers, they were piling it in, and anyway, that is uh, part of what we've been feeding them with is $10,506.85 that we've given specifically to feed those kids. Um, of those, we've been uh, doing specific sponsorship of them. So that number goes just to food. Because what was really sad was outside the pastor's house were all these kids who couldn't eat, okay, because there wasn't enough. So we give extra money every month. Like last month, I think it was $1,000 just for the food project. Um, of those... Kids, there are at this point 33 of them that are sponsored through Conduit. And when we talk sponsorship, that means that they're going to school, their uniforms are paid for, their books are paid for, and food is paid for. And it's cool because, by the way, the, the people that are doing the food, before I forget to say this, is actually the moms. Like these single moms are in the kitchen. They're not getting paid, but they, you know, they get to eat as well. So it's kind of a, it's a, you know what it's like? It's like the biggest church potluck dinner you could ever imagine. Every day, just the moms and their volunteering. Do they have potluck dinners around here? When I, when I grew up, we, we had a church for a moment where luck was of the devil or there was no such thing as luck, so we had to call them pot blessing dinners. <laughs> of course, this was the, also the church where we didn't have Halloween. We had Hallelujah night. Oh, yeah. Right. So anyway, I'm just saying, <laughs> this was like a potluck dinner and, uh, with about 75 kids. So uh, $8,951 even has been in child sponsorship so far. Um, 33, 33 kids right now a month are being sponsored. There are three or four more that I know are in the process of being sponsored. Um, we'd love to have all 75 of those kids completely sponsored. And what's amazing to me about this is that when they go to this church, when they go to eat, when they go to, there's no sign outside that says, you know, this meal brought to you by Conduit. Um, it's just the church. It's Restoration Ministries. And so what they envision is a church that is doing what God promised that he would do, which is to feed and to clothe them. Ben? Uh, real quick, it's actually about 135 kids that are eating, but split into two separate days. So oh, okay. One, one, the kids that are sponsored will eat every day. They're guaranteed you know, part of their sponsorship money. 
the rest of them alternate. So one group will get to come in on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the next group comes on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, and that's how they get fed. So if they're not sponsored, they can every other day, and that probably is the only meal they can eat in that 48 hour period. Yeah. So it's pretty wild. And it's again, it's in a church, and a church in this little, I don't know how else to explain it, but it's kind of up in like the hills of Jockmel, Haiti. And it's surrounded by houses that I use the word again very loosely because it's mostly just shacks. Um, one of the most striking ones was this house. This uh, Two of the kids are sponsored by Teresa Swain, who's actually online tonight, um, and her aunt. And it's attached to the voodoo temple. Like they go out in the front yard. Like we went to meet them. They were We just hung out in the voodoo temple um, where the kids were, you know, there's, there's, you know, you go outside or inside. So it's kind of... And it, and Voodoo Temple, it's almost like a, like one of those park quonsets, you know, like where you would put benches and stuff underneath of them, four poles on each side and a little lean-to roof. That's what the, the Voodoo Temple was, with the exception of it had like little creepy things hanging down. And what's cool, though, is to hear Pastor LaFleur talk about it, that the Voodoo Temple has actually been falling on hard times because everybody in the village is getting saved, so they don't need Voodoo anymore. So you've got, yeah, the Voodoo guy. Now, you know, they, they still have it. I mean, there was actually a Voodoo service on the last night we were there. Um... Which, by the way, super creepy. Like, super creepy. So we got church service, like, here, and literally, like, 25 yards away is the voodoo service. It was an amazing picture of, you know, evil and good. And So all that to say, okay, so uh, $8,951 for child sponsorships. Total of that right now for just Jock Mel for feeding and sponsoring kids has been $19,457.85. Um missions offerings just to Haiti, just when we say missions offerings, that's just the general money we give every month over time has been $19,921.62, which helps just the operating budgets down there, which are at best slim. Um, what else have we given? Let's go down here. Where's the other list? Uh, we've given $562.07 to a uh, Bible college in Ghana, Africa, $378.90. I know this is boring. I'm sorry. We'll put the, the numbers online. To a ministry called Freedom's Promise, which is uh, in, specializes in helping uh, girls involved in child trafficking that are being rescued from there. Uh, we wrote a check to the Hands and Feed Project for $2,830.60, which is the orphanage that was started by Audio Adrenaline right after they had a, a hurricane come through and literally bury their property, half of it. Um, so we were able to help them in an emergency. Uh, I already told you about the $17,000 for that. Uh, Place of Hope. Oh, good, Jeff, good point. Next Monday night, I wrote it down, but this is a good time to bring it up. I'll, I'll segue. Uh, Mike Coop, who started Place of Hope, will be here next week, okay? Um, I hope. I know. Don't we hope? So if you look, seriously, you don't want to miss this. Mike, um, and we've given him $9,931.37. We're his second biggest donor. But Mike, uh, in 1990-something, was uh, working at a hospital working with, um, well, he'll tell the story next week. Bottom line is he runs a ministry in Columbia, Tennessee, where if you're strung out, addicted to drugs or to alcohol, um, and you have no money and have nowhere to turn, they'll take you, and through a Christ-centered program, it's amazing what happens down there. These moms, a lot of single moms who've been lost, their families are in this ministry. They put their lives back together, uh, help them back onto their feet again. It's called Place of Hope. It's a, a, uh, they basically occupy what is a, uh, a creepy old uh, nursing home. Uh, that if it's not haunted, it really should be. Um, in Columbia, Tennessee, they also have a ministry for the homeless down there. They're uh, systematically buying up crack houses in Columbia, Tennessee. Believe it or not, Columbia, Tennessee is a lot of crime. 
they've been buying these houses one at a time and refinishing them and uh, putting uh, prisoners that are, you know, basically it's like a halfway house for prisoners getting out of prison. Oh, Mike will be here next week. He is one of the biggest rednecks you'll ever meet. And, um, and again, the song, uh, if he does it next week, is um, if you don't go to heaven, what in hell are you going to do? So, it, yeah, <laughs> classic. If you don't go to heaven, what in hell are you going to do? Um, we're not lying. And it's amazing. You go down there, you see this guy that, like, it's, it's just how God always does. He takes somebody. You could, pick, you could line up 100 people in a row and say, who's the guy that's running the ministry? For this, and you would you'd maybe put him like sixty or seventy on the list of top options, and it's amazing he does it. It's it's incredible what he's doing down there. So he's going to be here uh, and share with us there. So eleven thousand eight hundred eighty-eight dollars to Restoration Ministries. I guess it's broken down there. Um, we give uh, seventeen hundred dollars to World Vision, basically for a total of eighty-two thousand three hundred two dollars and ninety-four cents have actually been given away. So far, we've taken in eighty. $6,821.47. Some of that actually involves money that's sitting in the account that's actually been given from last month that hasn't been sent out yet. Uh, So in totality, we'll probably have about, we keep, we try to keep a little bit of a buffer for operating expenses or for um, like if somebody pays their, their child sponsorship a year in advance. So it looks like we have $2,000 in there, but we really don't. It's already spoken for, for the ministry in Haiti. Um, meaning that we are accomplishing our goal of giving away almost 100% of the money that comes in. We have zero operating expenses. The church gives us this facility, um, and it's been amazing to see what God has done with just a a silly little idea called the conduit. So that's your financial report. How about that, huh? We need to get an overhead projector like they used to do in the 80s. Do you guys know what an overhead projector is? Like when I went to church in the 80s, they had these little things, these little clear sheets, and then somebody with nice penmanship would write the song lyrics. And it would be something like, uh, oh, they still do them? Adam? Well, you know what? Actually, at Place of Hope, they still have them. Like, I spoke at the church at Place of Hope, and they cranked the, uh, it's the Pros family. This is very exciting. I can call them the Pros family. Man, marriage has been good to Tony. He got a haircut and shaved. It's just the beginning, my friend. Something else they don't tell you in marriage class. The wife, do you want to keep her exactly as she is? Wife, you want to change everything about them. They don't say that, but that's what's happening. She's she's in you a project, okay? Think about it, though. You're thinking, I think I can trim that or... Really? I'm just... You're changing him, but it's it's changing him. I'm just saying. How long do you think it was before I got married that my wife, after I got married, that my wife was taking the earrings out? Yes. <laughs> yeah, close. I had to shave on the wedding day. Huh? But, you know, it's all for love. So, I want you to know that tonight, well, first do this. This is where we're going to go tonight. Matthew 11, okay, 28. Exodus 20, you, you put it, so go to Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, and put a finger there. Deuteronomy 5. Put a finger there. And Genesis chapter 1, and maybe put your lipstick there. I don't know. I'm running out of fingers. Because this one, I, I said that earlier, but I'm kind of glad my wife isn't here tonight because I didn't want to be shouting amen too much. Um, because it's Sabbath. We're on, we're on that, that commandment. 
Exodus 20 is where we'll start, actually. I know you don't have a finger there yet, but hold on the other one. And I, I don't, I, I, I said this earlier, and I don't know if I should say it again out loud, but my, uh, I stand here tonight talking about the Sabbath day um, with about as much right to talk to you about the Sabbath day as I would have if I were talking to you about lust in Bible college, okay, because I was failing that test, okay? So, when we talk tonight about these things, um, know that I'm not very good at this one. Um, I pretty much ethically fail at it. I suck monumentally at it. And uh, I'd be interested to hear maybe more of what you have to say. And that's, again, why I'm kind of glad my wife isn't here tonight, so she's not shouting amen um, from the uh, corner. But this one is included huh, right alongside thou shalt not murder and don't commit adultery, don't steal. And a couple things that jumped out at me was, first of all, this, was remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So not only are we to remember it, but here's how we remember it, by keeping it holy, keeping it complete, keeping it set apart. Six days you shall labor. It's funny, we tend to skip over that one, right? Six days you shall labor. Wait a minute. Um, and it's kind of an important one, right? Because, um, underline that one. You don't really see that underlined on your... Work is not part of the curse, right? Now, you might say, Darren, you don't know my job. Um, but it isn't part of the curse. The curse of it was what? That there would be sweat on your brow. There would be stress. There would be thorns and toil and trouble. Interesting, by the way, that Jay and I were kind of chatting online today. I sort of mentally vomit online with him and kind of get all the, what's, what I'm reading. Um, Jesus when he was on the cross, there was a crown of thorns placed on his head. And what was it? The result of the curse wasn't the work, but it was the result of it, which was sweat and toil, and that there would be what? Thorns that would come from your work. The result of it, the results are what can be part of the curse. So Jesus, by allowing thorns upon his head, part of the curse, if you will, um, becoming a curse for us, and then he says, it is finished. And I, I wrote it up here, but the word Sabbath means in Hebrew is Shabbat, which is finished, cease. It's, it's an interesting tie-in with it, but one of the things that I think is important is that work is not a curse. And especially when you're, like I remember when I was young and I had all these other dreams of what I wanted to be, Right? Because let me tell you what I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be a waiter in pretty much anything that required a suit and tie, okay? Or anything, you know? And unfortunately for me, I spent uh, the better part of six, seven years as a waiter with no idea of whether I was ever going to get out of that. Of course, my first job was shoveling, uh, when I was 12 years old, shoveling poo at the sale barn. I don't know if they have sale barns around here. Where I'm from, they have sale barns. They bring all the cows in, and when you're 12 and in Nebraska and you don't have any money and you've got to get school clothes, you shovel poo, okay? And so I did that for a good couple of years, and I, I roped beans. Did they rope beans in Iowa? Uh, yeah. Well, that was, well, you were tall, right? So I, I wasn't tall enough to reach the tassels. So when I was 12, you, you, you had to, you roped beans, which basically was cutting weeds out of the bean fields, right? And I have a scar on my knee to this day to prove that I um, used machetes. And I popped my knee open um, when I was 
fifth grade. Man, we were really young. There must have been labor laws because I was fifth grade. <laughs> huh. But I, so, I never thought about that till now, but that's what we did. We worked in the fields. Anyway, popped my knee open 15 stitches, got to see my kneecap. Fascinating. Um, <laughs> fascinating stuff. But then when you got to be tall enough, okay, you would do tassel corn. Now in corn, you have the male rows, okay, two male rows and six female rows or eight rows, right? Now, the fact is, I, I, just like a lizard or a turtle, I have no idea how to tell the difference between a male corn and a female corn. I don't know. Um, There's it, 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 no noticeable difference as far as I can tell. Right. Right. There was apparently some uh, naughty stuff going on in the cornfields at night between the male and the female rows. I don't know. But, because that's what it was. There was something happening in there. And so, but you would pull off the, uh, the female tassels. And that was what you did. Th that was work. And I want you to know, it sucked. But, I, but every summer, it, when I got my minimum wage check at $3.15 an hour, we'd march our butts up to Hastings, Nebraska, where the original buckle, okay, which was then called the brass buckle, I kid you not. And I would buy Pepe jeans and Z Cabarici and, uh, well, oh, good. And, um, and it was always on the clearance tracks. It was like, you know, bright pink or whatever. No one else wanted kind of thing because I couldn't afford a lot of them. But, no, 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 pink. They were like, there was plaid jeans, but it was a pink shirt. Um, <laughs> the 80s. Work wasn't cursed. Work isn't cursed. And here's the key to that, and we're not going to camp on it, but I want you to think about this. When you're young, especially, you have this idea that I'm going to, one day this is what I'm going to be, and so then everything you do goes through that filter. And so how many, you know, whether it's bass players or lawyers in training or whatever, are sitting around waiting for their gig to turn around instead of going and getting a day job, okay? Jesus, okay, was God. And he had a blue-collar job for as best I can tell, somewhere near 30 years before he became, you know, his business card switched from carpenter to God. And... Yes, not a bad promotion. <laughs> I'm a meeting, Jesus. <laughs> I've been watching you. You're making tables and all. You're really good at this. Um, you were walking on the bathwater. That was huge. Um, <laughs> your kids. Like, right. You've been God's mom for a while. How about that? I think that it's a test. I honestly think God uses those things, whether it's your grocery store gift, which I think is wrong, or whether it was me giving, you know, flipping plasma when I had a kid, you know, we had no money. I was giving plasma, which is basically they stick a coffee stir, stick it in your arm, and somebody comes and sucks out the plasma, okay? Not necessarily in their mouth, but it's about that painful. And it hurts a lot. But you would have bought like two gallons or whatever milk. So I did And when you look at scripture, whether it's Gideon, whether it's Elisha, whether it's Peter, James, John, Matthew, Mark, God was consistently calling people off of a job where they were working hard, proving themselves. Moses, you know, as a shepherd. I mean, heck, even Paul, he was killing Christians, right? But he was doing a good job at it. You know what I mean? He was working. And God would interrupt their lives and pull them off of the job. So six days you'll labor. That isn't a curse. If anything, it's a way to honor the Lord. Well, Colossians 3.23, write that down and make sure I'm not wrong. Uh, say that you know, work is unto the Lord. You know, whatever it is. You know, Jay's, if you don't mind me, 
Thomas is taking a gig here at the church. Um, and Monday morning he's cleaning toilets, right? That's no good. That's no good. But it's a <laughs> think about that, right? <laughs> uh, sorry, I just stole your blessing, by the way. <laughs> You've been honored in public and now you're serving, so you can't get oh, um, I wanted that gem so badly. So, but it's a, it's a part of a test of the Lord. Can you just be satisfied with where you are? Because later in life, honestly, this is really where I think it goes with it, is that you need to honor your work. You need to own your work and not your work own you, okay? For thousands of years, people were identified by their family, by their uh, religion, you know, uh, when most times in the scriptures it'll say, you know, whatever, Billy Bob, son of Clarence, of, you know, whatever. They were identified by that. And these days we're identified, what do you do? You know, I, I find out, you know, if you see uh, some of the kids in school, and I'll ask them, well, well, what does her dad do? Of course, she has no idea, but she doesn't care. She's, you know, 12. But I care, because that's how I'm wired as a man. I want to be, be more successful than I am. If you get more money than I do, you know, I, who knows what you think as a guy. But it's, you're identifying yourself by what you do, and that is where the curse comes in, when you all of a sudden are owned by your job instead of you owning your job. So six days of work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, either your son, your daughter, nor your manservant, or your maidservant, nor your animals, my nor the alien who is in the gates, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. By the way, if you have a problem with the six days of creation, your problem isn't in Genesis. Your problem is right here. Right? Because God clearly believes that there were six days of God created the earth. Um, I heard a guy named Chuck Nissel from Christmas. Um, Khouse.org, you can find him there. He's, he has suggested there is a, uh, an MIT grad Jewish scholar in Israel named Gerald Schroeder. Um, not a believer, um, but he wrote a book how Genesis and creation can, uh, and, and the old earth theory can coexist with a simple question of, it depends on whose clock you're going by. You know, basically, if you plug in um, the theory of relativity okay, into 15 billion years, which is what a lot of scientists believe uh, the universe is based upon the expansion of the universe, that it actually, um, with a very complex MIT-level mathematician, comes about to six days, which is fascinating. Um, anyway, and think about this. If God could create the earth in six days, uh, it says what in the uh, New Testament? He says that he will fill the earth next to you and I. So it's 2,000 years for him. I imagine that that's incredible. Um, but the fact is, he didn't run out of ideas. Like, he wasn't tired on the seventh day. Right? He wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get in here and rub my feet. My dogs are barking. <laughs> you know, none of that. And he wasn't out of ideas either, right? He wasn't like, oh, I got nothing else. This is it. That's all I got. You know, which is a word for me, right? Which is my part of my struggle with the Sabbath, with this idea of taking a day every week and saying, this is it. This is my day to do nothing, to stop what I'm doing to us. Jamie George, the pastor of this church, calls it unrehearsed living for a day because there's no schedule to it. There's no, my problem with it is I got crap to do. You know, I've got stuff, but so did God. You know, it ain't like he was done. He, he had plenty to do. He could have kept going. And if he would have, he would have, of course, suffocated. We wouldn't have anywhere to go. It'd be too much, which is sort of a picture, isn't it, right, of us. If we just keep going and keep working and keep going, 
we can suffocate ourselves with the work. And I think also that it's a statement of like, when I honor the Sabbath and I say, yeah, you know what, I'm done for this day. I'm saying, you know what, God, this world can live 24 hours without me. Right? That's a big step because, you know, again, where I am, my job isn't so much a job as it is a lifestyle. Okay? And I want, you know, I have just about this continuation of Tuesday. And if what, you know, if something needs something, like, you know, I got to get a phone by me. And, you know, it's like there's just things that happen, but the step of faith is saying, you know what, God uh, is in control. And me suggesting that he's not is, is, is a lack of faith on my part. And so when I look at this, what I really think, go to Matthew now, we'll go there in a minute. And I want to hear your thoughts, you know. <coughs> I'm curious of this, but Matthew 11, uh, 20. Yeah, let's start in 28. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, look, I love this word, rest for your souls, which is a different kind of rest. Right? The, 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 fat, the Sabbath can give us a physical rest, but he says, come to me. And basically what he's doing is we've got, there are Pharisees here. We just remember we read that verse, and it said, don't work on this day. So the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the law, they came up with 39 different things that qualified as work. So you had to run it through this grid of 39 things. And Jesus is basically saying, just come to me, you're weary. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You'll have rest for your souls. Which, when you think about it, when you're in that mode, I use the term a lot that I'm kind of restless right now. Have you ever used that term before? There's a restlessness involved. And a lot of times, especially, whether it manifests itself like in relationships, I'm going from relationship to relationship, I'm going here to there, I've got to this school, I've got to this, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. It's really driven by a restlessness inside of us. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 take a breath. This is your day to say to honor me. But follow this. Now, if, if you don't know this, the words of the Bible are inspired. The chapters and verses are not, okay? This is a flow. This story just keeps going up. Some helpful King James guy put a, put a number here, but Jesus did not. This just keeps going. And at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. He's painting the picture, saying, I'm rest. Come to me. I'm going to give you rest. His disciples were hungry. They began to pick some heads of grain. Doesn't that sound delicious? They eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, this was one of the 39 rules. Don't do this. Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, keeping in mind, this was not awesome in the Sabbath. If you went to Deuteronomy and Leviticus, this was a punishable by death. Okay? These guys were not horsing around with this. Jesus was you know, being accused of a, of a punishment by death crime here in their culture. He answered, haven't you read what David did? His companions were hungry. He entered the house of God. He and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the so verse 5, haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, priests in the temple desecrate and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, but the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I am, I am. Colossians chapter 1 would say that 
you go and try to do all these laws and these days, and you understand they're just a picture. And the picture, the Sabbath day picture, this day of rest, this will work six, and on the seventh, you rest, is a picture of Jesus. And what's the picture of that I'm going to, it's grace. I get it anyway. I'm not going to work for it. I'm not going to labor for it. I'm going to rest and I'm going to enjoy it. Because all those things that we're doing, and some of you are young and you don't know this yet, but you're going to work in your job and it's going to become your identity. And you're going to say, I just want to do this and prove myself. How many of you saw Rocky, the first one? That night before the big fight, like, I don't even have to win. I just want to go the distance. I want to prove that I'm not just some chump. Right? And, and he did. He won. He went the distance. And he beat him. The problem was is that there was another fight. There was Rocky 2, 3, 4, and 5. And they were all crappy movies. <laughs> exactly, right? Because that's it. That's our life. It's like it's just something else. Another crappy thing that i got to prove myself with. Because if I'm getting my identity from that, because if I prove through my work, through my energy, through my efforts, there's always something more to conquer. There's, and this is a moment where I stop and say, my work that I did all week long, I did it as unto the Lord. Whether my boss was a jerk, whether my boss was great, it's unto the Lord. And on this day, I honor him by saying, I give it to you. Going from that place, he went into their synagogue and listened to this. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. This is a guy that was out of work. And maybe some of you can relate to that because your economy has withered personally. And his hand was withered. And this day, this is not a good thing because you could not work with your hands. And if you couldn't work with your hands, you were hosed. There were no IT jobs, if you know what I'm saying. There was no phone answering gigs. There was no government program that would write you a check every month. You were hosed. And you would sit in this area looking. And it says, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Look how big a jerk was legalism from them to Looking for reasons, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And therefore, stretch out your hand and it's completely restored. He defied them because it was lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And I think that what Jesus painted a picture here was a picture for us of saying that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And if we, if we leave here tonight, I'll put it this way, and the only question we're still trying to debate is should we go to church on Saturday or Sunday, you would completely miss the point. I mean, isn't it amazing? That's the big debate that we get into in our world. Is it Saturday or is it Sunday? Do I have Sunday Adventist or Adventist? That's the debate. And Jesus goes on, and if you'll go into Acts 15, if you write that down and go there later, they're, they're basically talking about the law, like whether it's circumcision, they're saying you're putting all these laws on them that they can't possibly make. It isn't about the principle itself of the law, or the actual law, it's the principle behind it, which is Jesus, who is our rest. And I think it's Hebrews 4, you can go there and read later, see that it talks about that there is a coming rest, which is Jesus. And if you, tonight, if you walk, walk with the Lord, if it feels burdensome, if it feels heavy, if it's uh, stressful, it's not the Lord. He says that my burden is light, my load is easy. And many of us have grown up in our own environments where we had to act a certain way, we had to be a certain way. We had to be in places where it wasn't okay to not be okay. 
right? I don't think we're even late to that. You know, I was in an environment so if you weren't okay, you just didn't say anything because you knew what would happen. You probably have another people to And that's a burdensome thing. And the Lord would say to us, that isn't him. My burden is easy. My load is light. Not that there isn't work. Because there is a burden. There is a load. Just that it's not hard. It's not heavy. And what I love about conduit, I've said this over and again, is we're working. We're working pretty hard. But I don't feel like it. I mean, I just read you a number that was like, what, $86,000 somehow. And I want you to know that we haven't worked that hard at it. And it's okay. Because we're working in the kingdom. We're doing the great things for the Lord. And it isn't heavy and it isn't burdensome. It's kind of exciting, really. I mean, I'm excited. So, as it relates to the Sabbath, should you go to church on Saturday? I don't know. I don't much care. It doesn't seem like Jesus cares. I know Paul didn't. He said so in Colossians. Did you go to church on Saturday or Sunday? What I think the key is is this, that once a week, and what I'm... What I'm stirring inside of me is to declare, and it's a 24-hour period, sundown on Friday night to sundown Saturday night is when the, the actual Sabbath was. It isn't so much, it isn't just about what you don't do, it's about what you do during that period of time. They would actually have a great meal, they would hang out as a family, they would rest from the work, learn about the Lord. It wasn't even about going to church. It wasn't like they were all hauling their butts off to church on Saturday. They were just they were worshiping the Lord with ceremonies and with prayers and with the Father would speak a blessing over the children, something I think is all lost in our society. I would love to see that more and even my own family, but uh, that's the Sabbath. That was the principle that they had and for us, the principle would be just, just rest. Take a day every week. Think about it. 400 years, those, those, those four Israelis for 400 years had had a day off and God said, hey, I got an idea. Get a day off. You know, it was completely crazy in that time. It had never been codified in law before in any civilization before that time. Take a day off. And God's saying, I want you to have a day off. Give me a day to honor me, a day to respect and to trust and have faith that I'm going to take care of you. And he did. So that's the basic. I mean, I know that's not really deep truth. Um, but what, I mean, how does it apply in your life? Like, how does it, when you're 20-somethings, you know, and you're talking about Sabbath. I mean, you, a lot of you guys aren't haven't entered the rat race yet of being self-employed or working hard or whatever. But what does it mean to you guys? Does it ring a bell with anybody or Jay? No. Ooh, Chuck Missler. Sorry, get it. Uh, no. And on the eighth day, he rested. Yeah. But on the eighth day, every two weeks, I'll take it. It was close. Um, 
And, and it's weird, because just in the last two or three weeks, I've sort of had to take these, like, mental health mornings. And, like, <laughs> which, like, okay, I'm working six or seven days a week. Sometimes on Monday, I just need to say, like, I'm not going to do anything until 12, which gets really hard, and you just keep being, like, what happened. You know, but it's kind of a step in that direction of, like, and the heart is not, okay, I need to not do anything. We were talking, Jesus still did stuff on the Sabbath. Yeah. Sometimes you just gotta be the guy. Sometimes you just gotta, you know, preach in the synagogues. That's part of it's part of what he was and what he was doing. Um, but it was more of a, a mental state and a heart issue of like, okay, I'm gonna try and kind of shut off some parts of my brain and say, oh, the reason I'm taking this break is because I'm gonna say When you think about it, too, like a lot of times when Jesus would go off to a place by himself to pray, like he would sometimes he would leave a place and there were still sick people there. Yeah. You know, there was still work to be done, um, which is especially interesting when you go to a place like Haiti or Africa or wherever, and there's just so much. I always feel that when I go there, this almost overwhelming feeling of where do you start with it? You know, how can you possibly make a dent in this? Um, but Jesus did what was right in front of him. Um, and I love it too, by the way. One of the things I loved about Jesus, some of his best miracles he would do like on his way to doing something else. You know, like he was on the way to heal Lazarus and he got distracted. I can't remember which miracle that was, but on the way there. And so it ends up making him late and Lazarus ends up dying. So he raises him from the dead anyway, you know. But he took the time to look around him. You know, he wasn't, in, in our world, it's such a nobility thing. Oh, how are you? I'm, man, I'm busy, you know. And Jesus, you know, he had stuff to do. Jesus' to-do list would be pretty long, I guess. But he would always have time. He'd always make time. But is it relevant to anybody else? I mean, does it feel relevant when you're 23? Something I know is a college student up in Pennsylvania is complaining that she had to work 30 hours last week. I'm like, <laughs> I worked seven. <laughs> and that's an average week for me. A lot of times I'm up till one o'clock in the morning working. Yeah, yeah, me too. Like, I'll go home, tuck the kids in, channel, go to sleep, and I'll sneak out and go back downstairs and drop some emails and, you know, catch up. Tony? I think it's funny for me. maybe some people are not, I mean, it's fair to say that some people are wired for things differently than others. Because I think some people don't have as much of a struggle embracing it. You know, I don't know any different because we were just, literally, we wrote, we woke up in the morning when I was growing up and we didn't work, we didn't eat. So, like, I, sometimes I do, if I'm being honest, out of fear. Like, if I'm not doing this, then I got to do this now because I don't know what's going to happen later. But, I don't know. That's relaxing? Yeah, it really is. <laughs>
may sound weird, but like manual labor to me is relaxing. Turn around. <laughs> everything. Remember that. You know, so it's, it's hard. I feel like a lot of times I put too much pressure on my relationship with God. Like making sure that I'm praying and reading the Bible every day. And it's, it's becoming more of a chore. And it's, yeah. And it's Duty. Like, yeah. yeah. And then it's like going to work and doing all this stuff and putting so much pressure on myself and, and probably unintentionally doing more than what I I feel like I just put so much pressure. It's almost like instead of going to somebody and saying, you better be a Christian or you're going to burn in hell, I feel like I'm saying that to myself. Hmm. And that's more pushing me away from God and away, away from life and other relationships. When I'm a waitress and I work so hard, and if I just stop, and rest, like you're saying, like, take that, finish it. Take that yeah. weekend or Saturday and just relax and right. think about it. I actually enjoy work. I'm, like, serving people. It's, like, probably the coolest job in the world, honestly. I get to serve people. I did it for a long time. And I did not think it was that much fun. <laughs> but... In fairness, though, that if you did it once a week, because I think you're right, what happens is your daily life, which we're encouraged to pray to every day, read every day, you know, get up at 5 a.m. and pray, whatever. And the fact is, is it can become a duty. And imagine if, okay, with you and Samson, you come home and, okay, Samson, here's your time. Here's your 15 minutes I'm giving you every day. I mean, that's, you know, there's a, it's not a chore. It's a relational thing. But, but if you, it's almost like, this is going to sound weird and maybe you're wrong, but it's almost like date night with God. You've basically blocked a day every week that no matter where I'm at, at this point, I'm carving this line in the sand. That is with me, my family, and the Lord. And it's kind of funny. That isn't really that burdensome when you think about it. It's not asking that much. You know, like, like we're acting like this is some big hard thing. It's like, oh, really? Yeah. Unto the Lord, but you're right, it isn't who yeah. we are. Yeah, and 
weren't created to be wearing pants. They were created to be wearing pants. Yeah. Superhero. That's what I thought. But no. Yeah, my, I'm breaking out my cape. <laughs> Who didn't want to fly when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And even when he's asking us to do it, it's like okay, drag yourself down here to this temple and this this and that. I mean, it's just like hang out at the house, make a big dinner, light some candles, and bless your kids. Like, yeah. oh, really? Like. That's it? <laughs> like, I'm going to march my butt up the mountain and sacrifice something? I can just, just hang out here? We don't have to carry a ram. Yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I mean, but I think what's, I guess what's intriguing to me is that it doesn't seem that urgent or important, but when it's stacked in between murder and adultery, I mean, God obviously put an emphasis on this for a reason for us, and it behooves us to think about it. And to honor it. And to not make it a legalism thing. Because we can't do it anyway. I mean, you know, we're already hosed as it relates to that. But it becomes something that's part of, I guess it becomes a part of the fabric of who we are. It becomes something we can aspire to. Knowing that ultimately, that, you know, the picture of, you know, if, if, if we're right and there have been 6,000 years of human history, that on the seventh day he rested, that a seventh day that we're entering, right, of rest, a millennium of of a, of a pure place that it's going to happen. You know, it's like God would say every day, you know, he's, uh, I think it was the third day when you know, he said it was good, you know, and at the seventh day, sixth day, end of the sixth day, I'm sorry, he said it's very good. And we can, so we can stop and rest now and enjoy what is good, knowing that someday we're, we're going to what's very good, which is the way it was meant to be when God restores, you know, a, a thousand year Sabbath, so to speak, for us and rest. So, so any, anything else? Does anybody... It's better than I thought it was going to be, by the way. I, I literally struggled with this all day. I'm like, this is just going to be, this is going to be so lame. Because. This is kind of like a pilgrimage thing. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, don't take the day of the Lord in vain. Yeah, oh, take the day away. Oh, it's the easy one. Um, I mean, I guess we could have gotten into the whole why we worship on Sunday versus Saturday, but I feel like it's been done. If, if you don't think so, just Google it. It's out there. <laughs> Everywhere, and there are people doggone passionate about it. You know, um, we had an artist that shall remain nameless um, in the '90s uh, show up with a big old money machine behind her on Curb Records, and <laughs> and they show up at the office where this kind of this big celebratory. We're going to sign this artist, and they send over the calendar. Okay, keeping in mind the label has done spent a lot of money on this artist. Okay, we're ready to go to work for this artist. And we get the calendar, and every Friday night to Saturday evening is blocked as off, okay? We had signed a Seventh-day Adventist, okay? And I mean, she was religious about the thing. And so you couldn't, she couldn't do a Saturday night gig either because she couldn't get there because of flying and stuff. And she couldn't do a Friday night gig. I mean, are you aware when concerts actually happen? <laughs> like, so Friday and Saturday? So anyway, you've never heard of her, obviously, because it didn't work. Um, but... Yes, that's amazing. Um, so, 
Well, if maybe what we could do is uh, is maybe declare a mini Sabbath right now and spend a little bit of time in worship. Jay brought his guitar this week, which has been bubbling up in the trunk of his car all day. Um, <laughs> but declare like a little bit of a mini uh, Sabbath right now, which is not just a we're singing because this is what we do. This is a, you know, what, let's just take a moment and calibrate. We call it on Sunday morning at this church, we have a little moment before church where there's some music is playing. It's called calibrate, which is, I almost feel like it's like, you don't do it as much on Macs, but I have to reboot my computer like once. I always, I literally don't reboot my computer, but once every two weeks, right? And But eventually you just got to. Because it's bogging down and stuff. So this is like a reboot, you know, with calibrating. Father, we, um, we know that when we go to your word that it isn't about an academic experience. But it's about encountering you. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. <coughs> it's our prayer tonight, Lord, that we've actually encountered you and met you tonight. Thank you so much. For it's in your name, the name that is above every name, that we're able to pray tonight. Amen. You know, people ask, I guess you're supposed to have a vision statement, right? Or, you know, we're lucky to have it, you know, notes. But, um, what I love about what we do is that we encounter Christ in the scriptures and when we do that, we fall more in love with him. I, I truly believe if God is really infinite, if the Lord is infinite, we're going to spend an eternity constantly learning more and more and more about him. I joked about it once, but the first luxury car I had, like the first six months, I kept finding buttons that I didn't know it did. I remember one day I hit a button and this little like screen came up at the back window. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. I didn't know it did that. And I know that's at best a, a, a stretch of a metaphor, but <laughs> but imagine heaven, like 10,000 years into this, like, I didn't know that about God. That's amazing. If he truly is infinite, we could spend an eternity exploring the goodness of God. And part of what conduit has been is I took a lot of blowback about a year ago when I wrote an email about how to not study the Bible. But what I figured out one day was I looked at it, and even the word study there in Timothy wasn't really the word study. It was encounter him there. It was about unpacking. And, and you go to Psalm 119 when it talks about the word, the longest chapter in the Bible, it talks about keep it, hold it, treasure it, protect it. All these things that we're to do with the word, never once does it say study it. And I know that's semantics maybe, it may, probably is. But when you think of it in those terms, we've just encountered what another great aspect of God tonight. Take a day off. I mean, are you kidding me? That's awesome. I'm, he loves us that much that he would say to a nation of slaves, take a day off. Hang out with me. Enjoy me. Enjoy yourself in me. Reset, recalibrate. That's amazing. You know, it's, God is that good. And if there's anything that we do with conduit, it's that. We encounter the Lord, and then we respond with our lives. Historically, that's been with our money. Um, I don't take any money, and I don't say that for any sort of a pat on the back. We just don't. Nobody that's ever had anything to do with this has been paid so far. Not, not to say that maybe someday, who knows, down the line, that somebody might need to get you know paid to 
we had a meeting yesterday about how to, just the, the, how to handle all the money that's going through with the CPA, and it's like, wow, this is it's a lot of work <laughs> that our volunteers are doing. Um, but so far, that hasn't been necessary. We've been able to give it all away. And so that's absolutely a way that we worship the Lord and we trust the Lord as we say, I'm going I'm to trust you with this part of my money. And I love it because when it talks about in 2 Corinthians 9 that God loves a cheerful giver, and I wasn't cheerful about it for the first 30 years of my life, 25 years of my life. And I'm downright fired up over it now because when I'm giving into this thing, I know that when I write a check that by this time next month, that whether it's Sebastian or whatever kid that we've met down in Haiti, they're actually eating, we're actually providing for them. And it's cool, the coolest part is that even if you've only got five bucks, you just fed a kid for like two weeks down there, a week and a half. It's like, it's crazy how far our money goes in that environment. So it's like, when you hear somebody say, if all you have is a dollar tonight to give, it makes a difference. Like when you're in a real church, right? You think, well, not really, because it costs like 20 grand just to carpet this place. But but here that kind of does matter. Because it's like, you know, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't donate in those situations. I'm just saying here, you know, but you give a buck and you just fed a you know, kid for two days for crying out loud. I mean, it's amazing. So if, if the Lord moves on you, great. If the Lord, by the way, if you feel pressure for me to give tonight, don't. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, also, you get a pass. He says, don't give out of pressure. Don't give out of an emotional deal, but to, out of like a, a well-thought-out, planned love for the Lord. And that is the key to me. And, and I'm ending with that note, is that he actually says that when we give, when we, 1 John 3, and again in 2 Corinthians, it talks about that our litmus test for loving the Lord isn't, that we've been to church every Sunday isn't that we raise our hands during worship or stand up real straight and tall and listen to the pastor. It's how do we care for those that are in need around us? It says, how can you see your brother in need and not help him and say that you love God? That's what John said. And Paul said when he's talking about the offering in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, when he talked about that whole seed for the sower, that whole we were all familiar with it, he says, don't give it out of pressure. Give it out of your love for the Lord. And so as we fall in love with the Lord here at Conduit, as we encounter him in the scriptures, part of that response is to say, I'm going to help those, whether it's here at Conduit or whether it's on your way home or whether it's uh, in your own environment. I, I, don't, I couldn't give a wit about where you're giving or serving or whatever, as long as we are. And so pray about it. And if the Lord does lead you to do here, um, we, we brought the fancy money bag tonight um, for that. And... You know what? It would be cool. I mean, we're going to crest the $100,000 mark by like August, probably at this rate. Um, the lemonade stands are starting to kick in. I've got emails from pastors going to start putting up lemonade stands um, in Dallas and Phoenix. And it's, it's really cool uh, how that's going. And I'm going to, I'm going to take the killer tease out my kids and we're going to go do uh, two, we're going to do two, three more times in more neighborhoods this summer. Cause it was a great life lesson for my kids. So, uh, so anyway, Okay, so pray about it, the Lord leads you. Great, if not, then great. Um, either way. And we'll, um, next week, Mike Poop, the redneck for Jesus. Um, and I, look, I don't mean to like overplay it because he actually has got some really great stuff to say. Like, I was terrified the last time. I was late from a, I was coming back from a show and my flight was like, I barely made it and I walk in, I see Mike doing like with the guitar and I'm like, oh dear, this is not going to be good. And... And we've had not good, right? I mean, you can all say that. We've actually had a couple of guests that we probably won't do that again. But, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's every day. But, uh, but Mike wasn't one of them. It was amazing. We were all just hooting and hollering. And what, you know, if you go to heaven, what the hell are you going to do? We're like, ooh, you know. But, um, but he's great. And, he's, and the whole purpose of next week is he's going to tell the story of how he funded this place, how he found it, all the miracles that happened, you know, with a guy that just said yes.
That's all he did. He had no plan. He wasn't, the, the, you know, I mean, it gives you hope. So this guy can do it, man. He, all he did was just say yes. And God, where God guides, God provides.